being willing to come today and help us out. Um, some of you are probably getting used to this at this point. I always start my sermon the same way. Um, so we will pray together. I will ask you to pray for three specific things. Thank the Holy Spirit for being with us in this place this morning to uh, get rid of the distractions that we kind of get piled on us throughout the week. Just maybe we can leave those at the door for a little while so that we can hear hopefully what God would have us here this morning. And that goes along with the third thing. If you would please pray for me because I just want to be a servant of what God has given to me to speak about. And um, I don't want to say something stupid or wrong or whatever it may be. And if I do say something like that, then hopefully God will go ahead and change that in your ears so that it won't appear as dumb as it sounded. So would you pray with me? Thanks. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for being willing to be with us. Lord, you come and you stand around us all the time. Sometimes we take that for granted. We don't take the time to recognize you being with us. So right now, Lord, we just want to welcome you in our presence because we are not worthy. Father, thank you so much. And I just ask that you would, um, this next couple of minutes, just help us to concentrate on what you would have us here. Um, help us to leave, a, leave the worldly problems that we brought with us at the door. Um, just take them away from us for a little while so that we can really fully understand and hear what you would have us here this morning. And Father, I ask that you would be with me as well because Lord knows I do say foolish things sometimes and I don't want that to take place. Um, Lord, so I would just ask that you speak through me, uh, make all the words that come out of my mouth your words, and um, change them in the ears of the beholder if they need to change, because Lord, sometimes that happens, we stumble, and, and things don't come out exactly as we would intend. So Lord, thank you so much for being willing to do that for us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. If you have your Bibles or your smartphone or whatever app that you may be using from whatever device or whatever it is, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 this morning, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. We're going to start there. We're going to read through a couple of verses here together, and um, we'll concentrate there for a little while. We may jump around a little bit, and you can jump with me if you want, but I tend to go fairly quickly when I do that, so I don't always give time for that to happen. Matthew 7, verse 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Verse 8, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if, he, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. When we pause for a moment to consider who is speaking to us, that God, this, this person, this being that is the infinitely strong person in this galaxy, um, and he can do everything that he pleases to do, anything that he wants, um, that he is infinitely righteous so that he only does what is right and that he is infinitely good so that everything that he does is perfectly good. He is infinitely wise so that he always knows perfectly what is good and right to do um, and that he is infinitely loving so that in all his strength and righteousness and goodness and wisdom, he raises the eternal joy of the loved ones as high as it can be raised. When you pause to consider this, then the lavish invitation of this God to ask him for good things with the promise that he will give you them is unimaginably wonderful. 
So let's take that in for a second. This God of the universe who created everything that there is, who created everything that we see around us, he gave us the ability to create the cars, but, you know, the wonderful creation of the trees and the grass and the flowers and the stars and the sun and the rain and the clouds, this God that made everything for us is accessible to us. He's right here. He's right here with us. When we consider that, that's crazy. Which means that, the, that one of the great short-term tragedies in the church is how little inclination that we have sometimes to pray. The greatest invitation in the world has been extended to us. And incomprehensibly, we regularly turn away to other things. It's as though God sent us the invitation to the greatest banquet ever. And we sent word back that sounded something like this. I have bought a field, and I must go tend to the field. Or I have bought a new cow, and I need to go check on my cows. Um, I just got married, and I must tend to my marriage right now. That's crazy. See, it's not like, you know, we, we live in a really neat place in the, in the whole scheme of this world, right? Um, if I were to take a 20-minute drive without traffic and end up at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and walk through the gates and, and walk up to the Oval Office and try to speak to the man sitting inside of there, it doesn't matter if it's today or tomorrow or next year or 10 years before, it doesn't matter who that person is, I, I really don't have that privilege, do I? In fact, there would be several people that would probably have issue with me even trying to do something like that. They may come and talk to me in a very harsh manner with large metal objects pointed at me. Right? I mean, we hear on the news every once in a while that somebody tries to do this, they jump over the fence, and they run through the lawn, and if the dogs don't tear them apart before they get to the door, the Secret Service eventually do catch them. Right? I don't have access to this person. We would say this person is one of the most powerful people in the world. And I have no access to him. But I do have access, real personal, intimate access, with the most powerful being in the entire universe. The one who created all, I have the privilege of going to and speaking to anytime I want, right here. I think that's awesome. And I think sometimes we take that for granted that we have accessibility to that person and we let it slip by without taking notice of it. We kind of do things differently. Well, that was then maybe. Back then they skirted things a little bit. But my prayer today is that God would use this message and his word from Matthew chapter 7 and maybe other influences in your life, the Holy Spirit compelling you, people that you come in contact with, to awaken a new compelling inclination for all of us to pray. And not just today, but on an ongoing basis. I hope that you will ask God to do that as we look at these texts. And I'm, you know, and again, it's not just because, ooh, it's GC session time. We need to have special prayer because God's going to guide us as we go on. That's true. I don't think that's untrue, but I don't think that's the only reason that we should be looking at prayer. We should be looking at prayer on a more personal and, and intimate level in every facet of our lives. So we'll do this today. We'll look at Matthew chapter 7, and we'll um, see some of these encouragements that, he, that Jesus offers to us to actually go ahead and pray.
And then maybe secondly, we'll answer, we'll look and try to answer some of the questions about how we can understand the promises that he's made to us that we will receive when we ask and when we, um, and that we will find when we seek and that we will have open to us when we knock on the door. So the first thing that, that he does is he actually asks us, he invites us to pray. Three times, in fact, he invites us to pray. Or you could say probably, um, if you hear it lovingly enough, if you look at it just the right way, that three times he commands us to pray, to ask him for what we need. It's the number of times that he invites us that should get our attention. In verse 8, 7 and 8, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks will find, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. The repetition here is meant to say, I mean this. This is, when you, when you hear something repeated over and over in school, what does that generally mean? You should take note of this. God is saying, this is really, 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 really important. I want you to hear what I'm saying to you. It's important. The repetition is meant to say, I want you to do this. Ask your father for what you need. Seek your father for the help that you need. Knock on the door of your father's house so he will open and give you what you need. Ask, seek, and knock. I invite you three times because I really want you to enjoy your father's help. It's interesting how, how important this becomes, and, and, and I think sometimes we miss out on that. Um, and so I was saying this morning earlier that we spent quite a little bit of time in our car this past week because we drove down to, San, uh, to Austin, Texas for the NAD ministerial convention, which just happened before this GC session. And so while we were in the car, we had plenty of time to get to know each other well, my young kids and my wife and I, as we, you know, have our little Ford Fusion, and it's kind of cozy in that space. And um, I several times can remember hearing things happening in the back seat between my son and my daughter, um, which were not necessarily unpleasant things, but you could hear things getting ready to be asked of you, okay? And so several times, I used the illustration earlier, my, my son kept saying something about he was thirsty and, um, you know, I can't find my water. And so you, you knew it was coming. I knew he needed some water or something to drink. It didn't matter, a little squeezy, juicy box thingy or whatever those things are, Capri Suns or whatever. You know, I knew he needed something, but it was just a simple fact of waiting for him to actually ask for it, which made it like, oh, yes, here you go. I'm now the hero. I get to give you what you needed and what you desired. You know, that's, a, that's an earthly thing to, to think like, not, a, not necessarily a godly thing, but um, it, it's that simple act of him actually asking was what I was looking for. I knew he already needed it. You know, I could hear him being thirsty from probably the, the salty chips and stuff that he was eating and snacks on in the back, but be yeah, that as it may, I knew he needed it, but I wanted him to ask for it. I wanted to be able to say, here you go, you have asked, and here it is. You know, um, just those little blessings. That's what, that's what our Father in Heaven wants from us. Because believe me, he knows what your needs are. He doesn't need you to ask for them. But it makes him really excited when you do. When you treat him as that personal level. Um, he also, he makes promises to us when we pray. 
Even better and more amazing than the three invitations are these seven promises that follow the invitations. Um, Verse 7 and 8, if you're still there. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and number two, you will find. Knock, and number three, it will be opened to you. For everyone who seeks, number four, receives. And the one who seeks, number five, finds. And to the one who knocks, six, it will be opened. Then at the end of the verse, in, end of verse 11, it says, number seven, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to you than for those who ask, to those who ask him? Seven promises. And again, something that is repeated over and over must be pretty important, right? Not necessarily the same thing, but they are important. Seven promises. It will be given to you. You will find it. It will be open to you. The asker receives. The seeker finds. The knocker gets the door open. Your father will give you good things. And surely the point of this lavish array of promises is to say this. It's to be encouraged to come. You've been admonished to ask, and now you see that when you do ask, tons of things come before you. Why wouldn't you ask? Why would you hold back? That's the point. The point is that these promises are to say, be encouraged to come. Pray to him. It's not in vain that you pray. God is not toying around with us. He's not dangling a carrot in front of us. If you, it's not like me in the car, right? When waiting for my son to ask for the water. I have the water. Hey, here's the water. God's not doing that to us. He's saying, just do it. Pray to him. He gives good things to those that pray to us when we pray. Be encouraged. Pray often. Pray regularly. And pray confidently. Listen, we talked earlier about about the story and, and how sometimes we ask for things that we know we're not going to get. That's, you know, sometimes silly, but, you know, I prayed for a million dollars when I was 12 years old. I'm still waiting for it. But, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's never going to happen, right? It could still happen. I don't know. I hope it does. I would be fine if it does, but if it doesn't, I'm also fine with it, you know? The third thing that Jesus does is he makes himself available at different levels. Jesus encourages us not only by the number of invitations and the number of promises, but by the threefold variety of the invitations. In other words, he doesn't limit himself to one little area. He makes it as expansive as possible for all of us that, that we can just stand, that he stands there ready to respond positively when you find him at those different levels. First, you can ask him. We have that, again, we have that ability right now. We could ask him for anything that we can even imagine, right? And if, and if he doesn't, if we can't do it that way, we can seek after him, right? And, and if that doesn't work, we can knock, so, so Stephen was here earlier, and he was sitting on the front pew misbehaving a little bit, and that was cool. We had a good time with that in first service. Um, he, he's right here. He could simply look up to me and say, Dad, I need to go to the bathroom. He didn't do that. I was just using that as an example. But that's, it's, it's an accessibility thing. It's right there. He could do that. If I was in my office, he might have to seek me out, right? He might look around and say, I don't see my dad, and he would probably start running through the aisles because that's what my son does. He doesn't like to walk anywhere. He would probably start running through the aisles and, and very loudly screaming, Dad! Cover the mic because I didn't want to scream into the mic, right? He, could, he would seek me out. He would go looking for me so that he could ask me the most important question that was on his mind at the time, which is probably, you know, can I have a drink of water? But he could do that. 
And if, and if I'm not there, if he can't find me, if, if maybe my office door is closed or if I'm at home in my study and the door is shut, he can come and he can knock on the door. And most likely, unless I'm like having a really bad daddy moment at the time, which I mean has happened in the past, I'm probably going to say, who is it? What do you need? Right? And, he, and he's going to tell me what he needs. So we have these different varieties of ways that Jesus uses to make himself available to us um, when we need it. The point is that um, it seems to be that it doesn't matter whether you find God immediately close at hand or almost touchable with his nearness or hard to see or even maybe sometimes there's barriers in between. He will hear us and he will give good things to you because you looked to him and not to another way. I find myself sometimes looking to the inner way and not wanting to explore those avenues with God, you know. And sometimes I think that I do that because I'm afraid that I already know the answer to the question that I'm going to ask. Sometimes I know that God is not going to give me a million dollars, so I just don't ask him for it. I will know it's his will if I do become rich at some point and win the lottery um, because I don't play. So I'll know for sure, that's a matter of fact, that that's what God wanted me to have happen, you know. But I have to be willing to put myself out there. I have to get past myself. I have to let go of me and say, all right, if this is really important, if God thinks this is really important, he'll make it happen. And it's not a sh there's nothing wrong with asking for something you know you won't get. I don't think so anyway. But here's the fourth point. Everyone who asks receives. Now that doesn't mean that that I receive exactly what I'm asking for. I asked for the million dollars. This was not yesterday, by the way. I was much younger at the time, before I really started understanding how life works. Okay. Um, I have to understand that I receive what, I'm, what I need, and not necessarily exactly what I'm asking for. And there's a difference there. There's a, there's a significant difference there. Jesus encourages us to pray by making it explicit that everyone who asks receives, not just some. Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks will find, and the one that knocks, it will be opened. When he adds the word everyone in verse 8, he wants us to know that, that we need to overcome our timidity sometimes, and hesitancy, and that somehow it will work out, um, and, and that, that other thing, that sometimes it works out for others but not me, we need to overcome that. It works out for all of us. Of course, he is talking about us, his children, right? And, and there's, there's probably no mistaking that, that each of us has that accessibility. We can all be God's children. We just simply ask. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, To all who did not receive, to all who did receive him, Jesus, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. To become the child of God, we must receive the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who gives us the authority of adoption. That is who these promises are for. Those that have said, Jesus, I accept you. And now it's, it's changed into that relationship, not that it wasn't for him, but for me, that Jesus is my Father. You know, it's a recognized fact. For those who receive Jesus, every one of them who asks receives good things from his Father. Now again, Stephen has asked for an iPad. It's not going to happen. He's seven years old. It's not, he doesn't need an iPad. He wants an iPad. But Daddy knows better on this one, right? 
On this one, Daddy knows better. And it's the same thing with Jesus. He knows I don't need a million dollars, apparently. Because <laughs> I don't have it. So I don't. He doesn't give it to me. But he does give me what I do need, which I take very welcomingly as well. For those who have received Jesus, every one of them who asks receives good things from his Father. The point is that none of his children are excluded. All are welcome and urged to come. He knows that sometimes we are timid and shy, that we feel unworthy and unfit to present our needs to God. We think that God is so great and we are so tiny that we don't dare to come to him to pray. That is why Christ wants to lure us away from such thoughts, to remove our doubts and to have us go ahead confidently and boldly to, his, to our Father. When we come to God through Jesus, we are coming to our Father. Verse 11 says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Father was not a throwaway label, a just happenstance word that is used to describe the relationship that we have with Jesus. It is one of the greatest of all the truths in all of the Bible. God is our Father. The implication is that he will never, never, never give us what is bad for us. A million dollars for me. He is our Father. He knows our needs. He knows our wants. He knows our desires. And that doesn't necessarily mean that we're not going to get our wants and desires. It may just be in a different fashion. It may just be in a different manner. Our heavenly Father is better than our earthly Father. Then Jesus encourages us to pray by showing us that our heavenly Father is better than our earthly Father and will far more certainly give us good things to us than our fathers on earth do. There is no evil in our heavenly Father like there is in our earthly Father. You know, sometimes we have good intentions as dads. I, I this, yesterday, um, Thursday night, Friday morning, Friday morning, it was very early, one, two o'clock in the morning, we finally got home from Austin. And um, as we were kind of guiding the kids into the house because they were asleep at this point, um, Stephen had, we had tried to stop and play soccer on the way home on Thursday during the day. And every time we had to stop, because I only stop when I have to stop, um, it was like pouring down rain. One of the times in the Smokies, it just absolutely started crushing rain. And I had to get gas at that, that time, and it was inconvenient. So we missed soccer. And Stephen said at 2 a.m., hey, Dad, can you play soccer with me tomorrow? And I said, son, I will try to play soccer with you tomorrow. Um, I had been working on the sermon, and I knew tomorrow was going to be a big day of trying to finish the sermon off. And so I said, I'll try to play, you know, whatever. And... Um, Yesterday afternoon, we had to go to a friend's gathering, and um, we got home at 9.30, and he turned to me and said, Dad, you lied to me. I said, what? He said, you didn't play soccer to me. I said, well, okay, I can, it doesn't matter at this point. The argument is won by him. It doesn't matter what I say. I never promised him that I would play soccer with him, but in his mind, the promise was implicit. It was there, and I had let him down. I failed as a father. Try not to do that very often, but unfortunately it does happen to me. If you haven't had that happen to you as a father, congratulations, you're a better man than me. Um, but I realize that sometimes we are humans. A lot of times we are humans, unfortunately. And we do fail. We have mistakes that happen. Um, it, it just is. It, it goes that way. But we're lucky 
that there's a difference in this, this, this analogy that is used between the Father that is in heaven and the Father that is on the earth. The Father that is in heaven is not evil. He doesn't have sin in him. He doesn't fail. When Jesus makes a promise to us, we know that it is ironclad. Even if it's one of those more implicit promises that we try to squeeze out of him, Dad, will you play soccer with me tomorrow? I'll try. That becomes a promise in his mind. We try to focus, we try to to treat God that same way sometimes. God, can I have a million dollars? No, but maybe I can later. You know, it becomes an implicit thing. Like, I'm going to get it at some point. There's no evil in our heavenly father like there is in our own earthly fathers. I remember several different times in my own life where my father had made promises to me and let me down. And, and then, you know, I promised myself at that point that I would never do that to my son. And then, you know, times like yesterday happened. And we realize how human we really are. And I can, I can really, I can relate this from a father, human, dad side, not so much the mom side, but I'm pretty sure that this kind of carries over. That analogy probably is similar maybe. I, I'm not going to put words into ladies' mouths because I, I'm just not going to do that. That's never a good plan. Um, but probably mothers have had similar things happen in their lives, you know. I'm aware, and Jesus was even more aware, that our earthly fathers are sinful. This is why the Bible repeatedly draws attention not only to the similarity between earthly fathers and heavenly fathers, but also to the differences. You see, Jesus, he doesn't want to be necessarily equated to me because we are definitely not equal there's a distance there jesus goes beyond the encouragement of merely saying that god is our father and says that god is always better than our earthly father which i'm cool with i'm definitely all right with that because all earthly fathers have problems and issues and make mistakes but god does not has not never will Jesus is very blunt and unflattering here. It is clear um, in this instance of Jesus' belief in the universal sinfulness of human beings and human nature. He assumes that his disciples, we, his disciples today, are sinners. We have evil in us. He doesn't choose a softer word. He simply says that the disciples are evil. Don't ever limit your understanding of the fatherhood of God to your experience of your own father. Rather, take heart that God has none of the sins or limitations or weaknesses or hang-ups of your father. I, I, I shouldn't admit this, but I, I, I know this firsthand. My sister has not the most positive view of my father. And she extrapolates that same thing when she looks at her relationship with God sometimes. And it hurts to see that because maybe my dad failed in some ways... It now has affected her relationship with her father in a negative way. We can't make that same connection. There's a definite disconnect there. Don't, under, don't limit your understanding of the fatherhood of God to your own experiences of your own father. Rather, take heart that God has none of those sins or limitations or weaknesses or hang-ups of our father's. And at this point, Jesus makes, and the point that Jesus makes is, even fallen, sinful fathers usually have enough common grace to give good things to their children. Now, unfortunately, there are, 
there are instances that happen all over the world, even in this country, even in this state, even in this county, even in the city, of fathers that do not take care of their children. And that's tragic. But in most places of the world, in most instances, fathers are jealous for the good of their children, even when they are unclear about what is good for them. But God is always better. In him there is no evil. Therefore, the argument is strong. If your earthly father gave you good things, or maybe even if he didn't, how much more will your heavenly father give good things to you, and always good things to those who ask? I think I used the analogy earlier as well. If my son came to me and and asked me for $5 to go get ice cream, that's probably not the most wonderful thing for him. I would probably say no. You know, he doesn't need any more sugar to help burn energy in his life. Those of you that have seen him running around know that. We can trust God's goodness because he has already made us his children. God will give us good things as his children because we, he has already given us the gift to become his child. For what would he now not give to his sons when they ask, when he has already granted this very thing, namely that they might be sons? We have already seen that being a son of God is a gift we receive when we come to Jesus. Jesus said to the Pharisees in John chapter 8, verse 42, If God were your father, you would love me. But God is not their father, so they reject Jesus. So not all the sons, so not all are the sons of God. But if God has freely made us sons, how much more will he give us what we need? He knows what we need, and he knows what we don't need. The cross is the foundation of prayer. Christ is the foundation for all the answers to our prayer. The reason I say this is because he calls us um, sinful and evil, and yet he says we are children of God. How can it be that evil people, sinful people, are adopted by a whole, an all-holy God? How can we presume to be children, let alone ask and respect to receive and seek and expect to find or knock and expect the door to be opened? And Jesus gave us the answer to that several times. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, He says, the Son of Man came not to to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave us his life to ransom us from the wrath of God and put us in the position of children who only receive these good things. In Matthew 26, verse 28, he said at his last supper, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Because of Christ's blood, our sins are forgiven when we trust in him. This is why even though Jesus calls us sinners, sinful, evil, we can be the children of God and count on him to give us the good things when we ask. The death of Jesus is the foundation for all the promises of God and the answers to prayer that we will ever get. This is why we say in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers, everything depends on him. It all starts with him. So he gives us encouragement upon encouragement. So then what, we, what do we take from that? How do, we, how do we wrestle with that? So the question maybe becomes, how should, how should we understand these six promises in verse 7 and 8? Does this mean that everything a child asks for to God he gets? Well, we've already pretty clearly said that that's a no. You know, that's not it. 
The context here is sufficient to answer this question, no. And we do not get everything we ask for, and we should not get everything that we ask for. The reason I say we should not is because if we would, it would in effect make us to think that we were like God. If God did everything we asked him to do, we should not be God. God should be God. The reason I say that we would um, not want to get everything we asked is because we would then have to bear the burden of infinite wisdom, which we do not have. I can stand here very confidently and say, I do not have infinite wisdom. I would not know how to answer every prayer that is asked of God. God does. We simply don't know enough to be, to, we simply don't know enough to infallibly decide how every decision will turn out and what the next events in our lives, let alone in history, should be. Some of you um, may remember the movie several years ago, Bruce Almighty. It's an analogy of God needing to go on vacation. God needs to go on vacation. There's a lot of problems with this movie, by the way. Um, but anyway, so he gives the, all of his powers to a mere mortal. And so this man, Bruce, has to go around experiencing what it's like to be God. Um, as, as the movie progresses a little bit, he starts being more in tune with his godly powers that he's been given. And so he starts hearing all the prayers from all the people and all of the world. And it starts driving him crazy. He can't deal with it. And then he checks his email. His inbox is flooded with all sorts of prayer requests because God has email, right? <laughs> of course not. See, I told you there were problems with this, obviously. And um, so in, in, in a desperate attempt to figure things out as a human could do, he just answers yes to all the prayers. In one swoop motion, everything is a yes. So the 11 billion people that asked to win the lottery that day all won the lottery. And so they're standing in line at the, the lottery office or whatever that place is, and, and they're cashing in their tickets, and they're each getting like a penny. So there's like this mass uproar because all they're getting is a penny. I, I, I wouldn't even begin to know how to answer the way that God knows how to answer. I can't discern the things that has to go through his mind and, and come to him. So obviously it would be a terrible thing for me to get everything that I asked for. The reason I say that we do not get all we ask for, because this text implies this, is Jesus says in verses 9 and 10 that a good father will not give his child a stone if he asks for bread. And he will not give him a serpent if he asks for a fish. The illustration prompts us to ask, what if the child asks for a serpent? Does the text answer whether the father in heaven will give it? It does actually answer that question. In verse 11, Jesus draws out the truth from the illustrations. Therefore, how much more will your father give good things to those who ask? So again, it, it kind of goes back to that, that thinking of, just because I ask for this, if God knows that this is better, that's what he will give us. Because again, he knows the difference between my wants and my needs. He only gives good things. He gives good things and only good things. He does not give serpents to children. Therefore, the text, text itself points away from the conclusion that um, ask and you will, she, will receive means ask and you will receive the very thing that you ask for. 
um, when you ask for it, in the way that you ask for it, it doesn't say it that way. And it doesn't mean that. If we take this passage as a whole, it says that when we ask and seek and knock, when we pray as needy children looking away from our own resources to our trustworthy Heavenly Father, He will hear and He will give us the good things. Sometimes just what we asked, sometimes just when we ask, sometimes just the way that we ask and the way that we desire, and then other times He gives us something even better. Or at a time he knows is better or in a way that he knows is better and of course this may test our faith at times because if we thought that something was better or there, there were something different were better we would have asked for it in the first place but again we're not God we are not infinitely strong or infinitely righteous or infinitely good or infinitely wise or infinitely loving and therefore, it is a great mercy to us and to the world that we do not get all that we ask for. But I will take a second on the behalf of those young people that said they needed more Legos and plead with their parents to buy them more Legos. Obviously, that's not the way it works. You know, can't plead for you on your behalf. It's up to you and your parents. But we can take God at his word. We can take Jesus at his word on how much, oh, how much blessings we will forfeit because we do not ask or we do not seek or we do not knock. Blessings for ourselves or for our families or for our church or for our nation or for our world. My prayer this afternoon now is that you will take the opportunity to go to your Father in heaven and not just wait for those ultra most important things that you have to decide but that you will do it on a regular basis and ask even for the little things or even for the things that you think he will say no for because we don't know all the realities of God. I would invite you to turn with me in the hymnals to our closing hymn. It's number 283 as we sing together.